Well, good morning, folks, and welcome to Redeemer. We're glad you're here this morning. Let me invite you into this time of worship with some words from Psalm 138. This is a Psalm of David. I give you thanks, O Lord, with all my heart. I will sing your praises. I bow before your holy temple as I worship. I praise your name for your unfailing love and faithfulness. For your promises are backed up by the honor of your name. As soon as I pray, you answer me. You encourage me by giving me strength. For the glory of the Lord is very great. He cares for the humble, but he keeps his distance from the proud. Though I am surrounded by trouble, you will protect me from the anger of my enemies. The power of your right hand saves me. The Lord will work out his plans for my life. For your faithful love, O Lord, endures forever. Let's pray together, shall we? Eternal God, we are caught up this morning in the joy and the promise of this new day. The power of the risen Christ cannot be put down or destroyed. The power of goodness and peace will ultimately rule over this broken world. Today we would cast aside our sinful nature so that righteousness and love might dominate our thoughts and our actions. May we hear in this hour the unmistakable voice of Jesus speaking to us and then free us to accept the good news that Christ brings. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. We're continuing a teaching series today that we started last week. Uh, It's called Living in Hope. And we're focusing on the New Testament book of 1 Thessalonians. This message today is kind of a sequel to last week because we're continuing to talk about the Apostle Paul's words in the very first chapter of the book of 1 Thessalonians. It's a letter written to a new congregation that deals with what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And this is such a core value for us. Uh, here at Redeemer, uh, it's a part of who we are. It's, just, it's a starting point for us to know who we are as, uh, as Christians, as followers of Christ. Because we believe that we are not just called to connect people with the love and life of Jesus Christ, but to help us to understand what that looks like and how to live that out uh, in our families and in our workplace and at school and all the places where God puts us during the week. So we'll get to... Um, that lesson in just a few minutes, but I invite you to pray with me before we do. Lord, we talk so easily about being a church uh, where love and friendship and warmth are felt, and we like to think of ourselves as a place where everyone is welcome. But we know that our welcome cannot stay confined to these walls. We're called to adopt attitudes of hospitality to others who may not return the favor. We're called to be willing to take the risk of hospitality in our workplace, in our homes, in our community, and everywhere we go. We remember that you reached out to people in all kinds of situations and conditions, and many of those people had been rejected by their society and by their families and even by the religious elite. They were in need of compassion and love and friendship. So Lord Jesus, as you have welcomed us today, regardless of our faults and failings, help us to always be a welcoming presence in your name. Help us to understand what it means to be a Christ follower in every aspect of our life. And we'll give you thanks and give you praise for this day. Amen. 
In case you weren't here last week, I began by saying that one of the questions I've often struggled with as I've worked with all kinds of people and congregations is this, how do we define what a Christian looks like? How do we define what a Christian looks like and acts like? It used to be that if you were not Jewish or Hindu or Buddhist, you were a Christian, but not necessarily any longer. Over 80% of the people in America today identify themselves as Christian, although not necessarily a part of any traditional church group like Catholic or Lutheran or Methodist, and some don't even attend church or even practice their faith. So what does it really mean to be a Christian? This question was in the news a couple of years ago when the Reverend Al Sharpton caused a theological stir during a public debate with atheist Christopher Hitchens. At one point, he seemed to imply that Mormons don't really believe in God, a comment which drew a sharp response from then presidential candidate Mitt Romney, who called the Sharpton statements bigoted. Sharpton later said his statement had been misinterpreted. Meanwhile, CNN's Anderson Cooper added to the controversy with a program called What is a Christian? And I won't go into the content of the program, but the end result was that anyone watching that program would likely be more confused at the end of it than they would be at the beginning. So what is a Christian? The answer is not as easy as we might think. Everything depends on how we define the word. We can't really tell who's a Christian and who isn't until we know what the term means. Now, if you start asking people the question, are you a Christian, you're likely to get all sorts of answers. Like, of course I'm a Christian. I was raised in a Christian home. Or I was baptized Catholic. Or I'm a Methodist. Or I read my Bible. Or I go to church at least once a month. Of course I'm a Christian. Or we could make it simpler and say a Christian is anyone who calls themselves a Christian, which is basically how the pollsters come up with 83% of all Americans who identify themselves as Christian. It's very common to hear, I'm a Christian because I say I am. And it means whatever someone chooses it to mean. Now, so generally we accept as Christian any individual or group who devoutly, thoughtfully, seriously, prayerfully regard themselves to be Christian, even though they may not identify themselves with any particular church or religious group. But perhaps making the definition so broad, the term Christian has virtually been emptied of its meaning. You are a Christian if you say you're a Christian. But since there is no consensus on what the word means, is there any other choice? You're even... uh, You're in even if someone says you're out. As I've thought about this question, I realize that I might answer it on several different levels. First of all, it's perfectly fine for me for people to identify themselves any way they like. If you say you're a Hindu, I won't say that you're not. If you say you're a Muslim, I accept that at face value. If you call yourself a Christian, far be it for me to argue with you. But secondly, my acceptance doesn't necessarily imply agreement. I can be friends with people who hold very different views about ultimate reality, and I can have a conversation with someone who says things that I think might be absurd, but to accept someone doesn't imply that I have to agree with them. But then third, I try to anchor my faith in the Word of God. I wanna know what the Bible says 
about what it means to be a Christ follower. And at this moment, we have a problem because the Bible only mentions the word Christian three times. In Acts chapter 11, verse 26, we read, it was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. Acts 26, 28, King Agrippa interrupted Paul saying, do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16, but it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. So let me give you eight interesting facts to consider. One, the name, of, the name Christian was not invented by the early Christians. It was a name given to them by others. Secondly, Christians called themselves by different names, disciples, believers, brethren, saints, so forth. Third, the term apparently had a negative meaning in the very beginning, because it was those who belonged to that Christ group. It was sometimes a term of contempt or derision. Five, it literally means Christ followers. Six, over time, this derogatory term became a positive designation. Seven, occasionally you will hear someone spit the term out in the same way it was used in the earliest days. You Christians. You know, a negative implication. You Christians think you're the only ones going to heaven. And then eight, there was this sense of suffering in the New Testament, the sense of reproach that was attached to the word. Now, in working my way toward an answer to the question, what is a Christian, I decided to check out the dictionary. And I found these two definitions. First, one who professes belief in Jesus as Christ or follows the religion based on the life and teachings of Jesus. And second, one who lives according to the teachings of Jesus. Now, actually, that can be quite helpful because it gives us some give some content to the word. To be a Christian means that we believe something, we follow something, and we live something. To borrow a contemporary phrase, we could simply say that a Christian is a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. But as I think about that phrase, two insights come to mind. One, it doesn't happen by accident. We are not born into the Christian, uh, born a Christian, nor are we a Christian because of our family heritage. See, being a Christian is not like, you know, being Irish or whatever. We can't, uh, we aren't a Christian because we're born into a certain family, into a certain group of people. And secondly, to be a Christian requires conversion of the heart. We talked about this last week. By using the term conversion, I simply mean what Jesus meant when he said to his disciples, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. You see, the heart itself must be changed so that we become a follower of the Lord. In order to further define what is a Christian, I want to take a look today at, again at this first chapter of 1 Thessalonians. Now, this particular passage is useful for several reasons that I mentioned last week. First Thessalonians is one of the oldest books in the New Testament. Scholars dated at approximately 50 to 51 AD, meaning that it was written just about 18 years after Jesus' life and death. 
And most of the believers at Thessalonica had come to Christ from idol-worshiping paganism. Paul's brief ministry there resulted in a small congregation made up of converted Greeks along with some believing Jews and some leading women of the town. And as Paul says, they had turned to God from idols. So this passage tells us how these idol worshipers became followers of Jesus Christ. And it offers what might be called a street-level description of what it means to be a Christian, a Christ follower. Now I say that because the transformation of these folks had been so complete, so obvious that these former idol worshipers had a huge impact as brand new Christ followers. They became the talk of the town. So much so that it was said of Paul and Silas that they had turned the world upside down. Now this is Christianity in its purest and rawest form. This is the Christ message as it invaded and began to transform the Roman Empire. This is how it was in the first century. This is the message that turned the world upside down. And it spread like wildfire and it threatened the power structures. It challenged the status quo and it upset both the pagans and the hyper-religious alike. You know, sometimes we go to the store and we see a bottle, and on that bottle, maybe a powerful cleaner, it says, do not use at full strength, dilute with water first. Because the liquid is too strong in the undiluted form. In this passage, we see Christianity at its earliest undiluted form. No wonder these Christians turned the world upside down. So what is a Christian? Let's let the Apostle Paul help give us the answer. First, a Christian is someone who has been chosen by God. Look at verse four. We know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you and has chosen you to be his own people. Now the key phrase here is God has chosen you. That speaks of the sovereign grace of God in salvation. Sometimes we talk about us finding God. But if if he had not found us first, we would never find him at all. Salvation begins with God, not with us. God reaches out to us and draws us to himself, and then we believe. To put it a different way, salvation is all by grace, all by God, all the time. A Christian, then, is a person who has been called and chosen by God Being a Christian is not a work of our merit, of our personal accomplishment, but it's an act of God's free grace. Secondly, a Christian is someone who responds to the gospel message. Verse 5, for when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true, and you know of our concern for you from the way we lived when we were with you. Here we have the other side of the coin. One of the major ways that God reaches out to us is through the preaching of the gospel. When God's word is preached in the power of the Holy Spirit, it produces deep conviction in the hearts of those who hear it. And even when we have done our best as preachers, our preaching will count for nothing without the work of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of those who hear. 
God's Spirit works in us to convict us of our sin and convict us that we need a Savior. And hopefully we will respond and embrace Jesus as our only hope of heaven. So we must preach and we must pray and then we must depend on the Lord to give people the grace to respond to his saving faith. That explains a mystery that many of us have wondered about. Why is it that two people can listen to the same gospel message and respond in totally different ways? Why will one person choose to follow Jesus while the other completely rejects him? Why does one person believe and the other person say, I want nothing to do with Jesus or the church? You see, the answer must be that one person has an open heart and the other person does not in terms of the gospel message. Without conviction of sin, none of us would ever become a Christian. So a Christian is someone who has been called and chosen by God and responds to the gospel message and commits their life to Jesus Christ. Third, a Christian is someone who regards Christ as infinitely more valuable than earthly suffering. Look at verse six. So you receive the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of the severe suffering that it brought to you. In this way, you imitated both us and the Lord. So the third characteristic may surprise us because it speaks of how the Thessalonians responded to the gospel message. In their particular situation, coming to Christ from the background of idol worship, they faced enormous cultural pressures. No doubt, some faced opposition from their own family members who thought they were nuts to believe in Jesus. So in those early days of the Christian movement, it was not popular to be a Christ follower. Notice the phrase, in spite of severe suffering. The word literally means to be pressed to the limit. It has the idea of being under the thumb of another person, feeling the pressure pushing you down. See, to receive the word of God with joy has the idea of opening your home, your heart, to another person. So in this case, it means that the Thessalonians were so glad to be saved, to be uh, that Jesus was their savior, they couldn't be stopped even from the persecution that they were going through. You see, Jesus never invites us to accept him, receive him on a trial basis, although some try to do just that. True conversion means that we continue to follow Christ even when the going gets rough. So what is a Christian? A Christian is someone who joyfully chooses to follow Jesus no matter what the cost. Number four, Christian is someone whose life has been genuinely changed by Jesus Christ. Verses seven and eight. As a result, you have become an example to all the believers in Greece throughout Macedonia and Achaia. And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Achaia. For whatever, wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God, and we don't even need to tell them about it. We said last week that the best way to lead others to Christ is by the example of our own changed life. We all know that a satisfied customer is always the best advertisement for any product. The best place for us to make an impact for Christ is right where we are. 
We can start by living for Jesus in our homes, in our school, at work, showing others the difference that he makes in our life on a daily basis. A Christian is a person whose changed life changes others because of a commitment to be like Jesus and to follow him wherever, we, wherever he leads us. And then last, a Christian is someone who has gone all in on Jesus. Look at verses 9 and 10. For they keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us and how you turned away from idols to serve the living and true God. And they speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven, Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. He is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. Note the key verbs in in these two verses. You gave, you turned, you serve, and you look forward. The whole Christian life can be found in those words. We turn from the old life, we give of ourselves, and now we serve the living God, and we wait for Jesus to return to this earth. These three phrases give us the three tenses of the Christian life. In the past, we turn from our idols, from our sin. In the present, we serve the living God. In the future, we wait for Jesus to come back to earth and to establish his kingdom forever. There comes a moment when we have to decide. There comes a moment when we have to decide if we're going to go all in about what we believe. Let me use an analogy about a game table. You know, you're playing cards, you look at your cards, you look at the chips, and at some point you may say, you know what, I'm all in. That means we're risking everything on that one hand. If we're, if we, if we're right, we win it all. If we're wrong, we lose it all. And it's a little bit like that in the Christian life as well. We can't hold on to our cards forever. Somewhere along the way, we've got to make a a decision. We've got to take a stand on whether or not we're going to go all in. Some of us here have already made that decision to go all in for Jesus. I did years ago. You know, it's like pushing your chips to the center of the table and say, I'm all in. I know that he's the son of God. I know that he died on the cross for my sins. I know that he rose from the dead on the third day and he is the Lord of the universe and that someday he's going to take me to heaven. Lewis Sperry Chafer said that believing in Jesus means trusting him so much that if he can't take you to heaven, you aren't going to get there. I like that. If Jesus can't take me to heaven, then I'll never make it because I'm going, but I am going to go all in on him. I have no plan B. Let me go back to the original question I mentioned at the beginning of this message. How is a Christian defined? Christian is a person who has been truly changed by Jesus Christ. It begins with God and his choice of us. It requires hearing and receiving the message of the gospel. It leads to a heartfelt acceptance of Christ as Lord and Savior. It results in a changed life that begins to change other lives, and it means that we go all in on Jesus. See, salvation starts with God. It's based on the truth of who Jesus really is, and it changes everything about our life. 
Sometimes I meet people who have been going through some struggles in life and they begin to question everything they believe and they feel bad because they're not sure they have enough faith to make it through the tough times they're going through. And most of us, I would say, experience some doubt from time to time and it's honest because who among us would say, my faith is strong all the time? I would never say that because I know at points my faith has gotten wobbly. But my response to a person who's feeling that way might be belief all depends on where we're looking to find the answer. You know, if we look within ourselves, we will always be disappointed because our faith will almost always seem like it's not enough. And if we look at our own heart, we will see our own sinfulness. If we look at our outward performance, we're going to be discouraged by our failure to live like a true believer. An honest self-examination naturally leads to the conclusion that we have, done all, uh, we have all done things that we ought not to have done. And we have left undone some of those things that we should have done. See, any way you look at it, we're all miserable failures in the great game of life. And if God wants only winners in heaven, then probably none of us are gonna make it because Paul says in the scripture, we've all sinned and fallen short to the glory of God. So we don't look inward. We don't look to ourselves to find the answers because we'll only be disappointed. We have to look outside of ourselves and that means looking to Jesus. And when we look to Jesus, this is what we find. 2,000 years ago, he died on a cross, shedding his blood for our sins. He died in our place. He took our sin and our punishment so that we could be cleansed and forgiven and declared righteous and born again and become the true children of God. And when God looked down from heaven and saw Jesus dying there, he said, I am satisfied with what my son has done. And we know that he was satisfied because on the third day he raised Jesus from the dead. God is satisfied with what his son has done. Are you? That's the central question of the Christian faith. Are you satisfied with Jesus or do you think you need to keep doing something to add to your salvation? Is Jesus enough? What is a Christian? A Christian is a person who is truly satisfied with Jesus and what he did on the cross for us. A Christian is someone who is so satisfied with Jesus that he says, I'm going to trust the Lord completely for my salvation. I'm anchoring my faith on a life that I did not live, on a death that I did not die, and on that life I will stake my eternity. A Christian says, if Jesus can't take me to heaven, I'm probably not going to go there. So let me ask you the question I asked you last week. Have you committed your life to Jesus Christ? Have you looked to him for salvation? Are you trusting him completely with your life? Have you placed all that you are in his hands and said, Lord, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. You see, becoming a Christ follower is as simple as that and as profound as that. And that's true conversion. That's the first step in becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. It's not enough to just be Baptist or Methodist or Lutheran or Catholic. It's not enough to be American or Chinese or Greek or any other nationality. It's not enough 
to be religious. It's not even enough to go to church. Our salvation is found in turning away from the idols of this world and turning toward God. And my prayer for you today is that that if you've never made that decision, uh, today is the day that you will turn to Jesus. If you have the slightest desire, turn. If you want to be a Christ follower, turn. If you seek a new life, a changed life, turn to him today. Turn from your past. Turn from your self-worship. Turn from all that is evil. Turn to God and say, Lord Jesus, today I'm transferring my trust to you as Savior and Lord. May God help us to do that. May God give us the faith to believe and to go all in on Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. Pray with me, will you? I'm going to pray a prayer as I did last week and as a prayer of faith. And if you have never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to to say the prayer with me. It'll be on screen. Or maybe you've felt like you've strayed away from God and it's been a long time and you need to come back uh, to find him again. Pray the prayer with me. I invite you to do that. Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God, that you died on the cross to rescue me from sin and death and to restore me to the Father. I choose now to turn from my sins, my self-centeredness, and every part of my life that does not please you. I choose you. I give myself to you. I receive your forgiveness and ask you to take your rightful place in my life as my Savior and Lord. Come reign in my heart. Fill me with your love and your life and help me to become a person who is truly loving, a person like you. Restore me, Jesus. Live in me. Love through me. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you made that decision today for the first time or maybe uh, renewed that decision, I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email. Call me up. I'd love to be praying for you. I'd love to support you in that decision. Uh, God bless you.